the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in. I'm so thrilled to be joined by Don Farnan, the founder of Path Connect, a 12-week program that teaches recruiters. And we're going to dive into that quite a bit in our conversation. But, uh, Don, welcome to the conversation. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I love to get to know the person behind the microphone. Do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners and how you became so passionate about recruiting? I understand that started at a very, very young age. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Don Farna, and I'm the founder and CEO of both Path Connect, the 12-week accelerator for recruiters, and also Dot Connect, a global talent advisory. So I run both of those companies. Um, I started recruiting when I was 17, so after graduating high school early, I got an internship as a marketing intern for a company, decided that while I waited between January and June for my class to finish their coursework um, and actually graduate, I wanted to continue working. So I went down to HR when my internship was done and I said, how do you keep me working? I don't want to go back to the pizza place. I want to keep learning. And then the next thing you know, um, you know, they had hired me as a very junior recruiter, but I had an amazing team of very senior mentors that coached me and trained me and, you know, fostered a lot of my growth very early on in my career. What a journey. What a journey. Oh, my God. So you started very, very young, and you've learned the basics, but you've certainly seen how the industry has evolved, and I want to talk to you about technology, too, and how it's changed in the world of recruiting. So let's start there, actually. Let's talk about the past, uh, let's say, two, two and a half years of recruiting. Um, let's talk about some changes just because of the pandemic. What have you seen occur, and is the great resignation real, and how has that affected recruiting? Yeah, I was just talking to my husband about this last night and how crazy it's been from 2020 to now. Um, it was it was interesting because prior to 2020, the clients that we were working with wanted our teams of recruiters to be on site at their offices. And so it was a bit challenging for us because I run a remote first company and a lot of my teams all over the U.S. and in some parts of Africa and South Africa so they weren't able to be on site at our clients. Um, so that was limiting our reach and ability to scale. But once COVID hit, people were still hiring. While a lot of people might have laid off their internal recruiting teams, 
There is still attrition at companies. Companies do still hire in recessions. It may not be net new headcount, but there's always going to be turnover to account for. And if you can't have a full-time recruiting team, you can definitely have a fractional or contract workforce like what we do. So um, that being said, when COVID hit and everyone went remote, it actually helped to really expand our ability to deliver top talent to a lot of different companies and industries. So that was really helpful. I also think that we were already set up for success because we were remote first out the gate. And so when I really started building my team, team in end of 2018 and 2019 on the dot connect side um, we were always using remote first tools we were on slack we had notion we had everything kind of set up documented and even now we're continuously refining it to ensure that it meets the needs of our global team but in general i mean that was one of the positives for us and then on the flip side you had 2021 that was just crazy growth lots of companies doubling and tripling their headcount goals since they didn't hire a lot in 2020. And now you see somewhere in between both. You see companies continuing to grow, but maybe a bit more, more mindfully. You see bigger companies who tend to overhire and do hyper growth, you know, laying people off, which isn't pleasant, but that's just the nature of the way that we work. Um, and so I've kind of seen everything in between in the last two years. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So lots of uh, lots of changes, and we're going to talk about technology again in just a moment because you are indeed the subject matter expert on this topic of how recruiting has changed and how companies need to change with it. Speaking of that topic, in terms of industries, I know you mentioned that you yourself personally in a lot of industries, and you as a uh, as a firm have worked with many companies. So I have to ask: Is recruiting the same? Is it apples to oranges? What what does it mean from one company, let's say, in the legal profession? to another company, maybe in the world of technology, is the principles of recruiting and attracting talent the same? Yeah, I mean, I think in general it is the same. So we can run a proven recruiting process across any of our clients, and we tend to have success in the process that we've defined and we like to educate our clients on and run. However, there's nuances hiring manager enablement, have they been trained? Do they understand what their bar is? Do they know their values? Do they know the behaviors and soft skills that will fit within their team dynamic? All of those things are very important and they vary client to client, company to company. Um, and not all, all companies are created equal when it comes to that. So, you know, we see that sometimes we go in and we have a lot of success if the hiring teams and the clients choose to show up, up as partners and really have ownership in their role of hiring. I always joke to my clients and say, look, you have the list of the open list of roles. We don't. So, you know, it's on you to really ensure that we get the talent that we find you across the line. It's not necessarily on the recruiter. While there's an element of closing and negotiation and, and tactics like that, ultimately, it's the hiring manager, the interviewers, the executive leadership teams from the end user client company that are the ones that, you know, bring the talent on and close those people. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say this, and I remind our listeners of this each and every week, is that, you know, you need to focus and do what you do best and let others do the same. And so while you may be the subject matter expert and, you know, a great lawyer, that does not mean you are the best at hiring other lawyers. That does not mean you are the best at hiring the business development person. And that's why you need to return to experts like our guest right here 
So, uh, Don, I have to I have to ask the question. Um, you know, you've founded this unique platform, um, and I'm curious. Tell us a little bit about it and how it's uh, really revolutionizing the industry. Yeah. So, so Path Connect, the 12 week technical recruiter accelerator, has been on my mind for a long time. Ultimately, out of utility for being able to to find, train up and scale my own team's skill set. Um, this was really based on demand in the last couple of years for technical recruiters. Um, and our competitive advantage has been our ability to, you know, find talent with transferable skill sets. Let's say it's project managers or people who are early career that just graduated with a degree in computer science who wanted to be an engineer but didn't find an engineering job that had an interest in tech and then put them through our 12-week program so that at the end they were, they had enough of a foundation that they could be put in front of a client and understand technical needs for talent and hiring and then apply the proven process that we run. So at the end of the day, I can teach anyone how to recruit. It's a, it's not a matter of that. It's really if the person wants to do it because recruiting anyone can learn is but it's not for everybody. That's what I always tend to say. Um, you may get into the recruiting field and, and realize that, you know, it's hard to be the mediator between hiring managers and, and talent. It's hard to be the one that often gets projected on if somebody didn't get a job or if the talent wasn't that great, um, you know, based on what the hiring manager's assessment was. So you're kind of always that middle person and we found that even with some of our own team, they get into the role, they might go through the boot camp, and then by the end of it, when they're in the jobs with real clients, it might change their perception on things. So I always find that, you know, just like anything else, it's like if you're going to go to get a certification for computer science or coding or whatever, it's, it's similar to that in terms of the, the process and the steps and the workflow and mm -hmm. what you learn. But... You know, for the most part, it's just the foundation. You really learn when Absolutely. you're in a job doing the work. Absolutely. And we're running out of time, but I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you and your team, get up on the platform. So can you give that information for our listeners so everybody, hopefully, in the week ahead can get in touch? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. I am Dom Farnan. You can find Dot .connect. We are Dot .connect. You can also find us on LinkedIn both dot .connect and pathconnect, and then you can find .connect at .connectllc.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Looking forward to uh, continuing our conversation in future weeks. Um, we'll be right back and get down to business. This is all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Don't touch that dial. Back to get down to business, this show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I have been so excited for this conversation. I've been looking forward to it for weeks now. That's because I'm joined by Seth Hanford, the head of school at the Elgin Academy. Of course, based in Elgin, but having a truly a global impact. So Seth, it is an honor and a privilege to have you on the program, introducing a, as I understand it, 183-year-old institution. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, 183 years. And thank you so much for for having me. We're very proud of what we have to talk about. So thank you. 
Absolutely. So uh, as you know, I love with all of our listeners to just learn about people's background. And I know you're the head of school of a very, very proud institution, a 501c3. Um, but I know I love to learn about folks that are making a difference in the community. So Seth, do you mind uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and your own background? Well, thank you. Thank you for thank you again for having me. I, I uh, have been my whole career in in schools like this, a, a large portion of the career at Elgin Academy itself. But it, it all um, in schools like this started for me when I was going into ninth grade myself uh, back in the East Coast. That's a longer time ago than I care to admit at this point, I guess. Um, but I was uh, sort of a, a not so focused middle school student and the people around me, my, my family felt very much that it would be good for me to go to a school like this. And, and uh, it truly was a life changing experience for me. Um, and uh, I have uh, been in schools like this basically ever since, largely as a result of that, um, of that experience that I was lucky enough to have, that I had people around me who helped me get. Um, and so my uh, life's passion in terms of my profession has been to try to create experiences like that for uh, for other kids and, and, and hope to uh, make that difference in their lives in the same way that a, a school did for me. So we're, we're uh, very proud of how we do that here, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm very privileged to be able to represent that. Congratulations and kudos for all that you and your staff, a shout out to your amazing staff at the Elgin Academy for all that all of you do, because that's quite a bit of longevity, 183 years. Um, and I want yeah. to talk about that for a moment. Uh, what causes an institution to be able to last that long with such a proud history and such a great, great reputation? Yeah, it's it's really a, a pretty stunning thing. We're, we're the uh, one of the oldest schools in, in in this part of in this part of the country, and even uh, more amazingly, we have been the entire time coeducational and non sectarian, and that's a very very rare thing. Um, and so we have been committed to to those ideas for that whole 183 years, uh, which is remarkable and very unusual. Um, I think that longevity has a lot to do with being a relationship-based place that is very, very flexible. So a lot has changed over those 183 years, obviously. Um, we, we can think about all the things that have happened in society. You know, this, is, this school was chartered before the Civil War, right? So we can think of all those sorts of changes. But what's more amazing to me is what hasn't changed at all, the basis of uh, of relationships being the foundation of any education that happens, that those relationships can uh, serve as a foundation for really great education to happen. And so that in itself hasn't changed. So I think that what makes a school able to to live that long, and frankly, I think this would be the case of any sort of business, is is a combination of a, a grounding and a mission and a philosophy with flexibility. And, and I've listened enough to enough of your shows to know that that, that sort of mixture uh, is what makes a lot of businesses work. And I think we're no exception in that sense, even though it's a not-for-profit one. Um, I think that's very much what causes that sort of longevity and allows it to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, relationships, I've heard you say that now over and over again, relationships, relationships, relationships. And, you know, there's yeah. a lot of talk in the news about education, certainly over the course of the pandemic, which hopefully we'll have a minute or two to talk about. Um, there's a lot of different types of schools. We talk about, you know, charter schools. We talk about public schools. But the Elgin Academy, um, and again, I'm chatting with the head of school of the Elgin Academy, is an independent school. What does that classification mean specifically to your, to your students and stakeholders? 
Yeah. So there, there are about 1,500 of us in this country. Um, and an independent school, by definition, is governed by uh, an independent, self-perpetuating board of trustees. Um, so that's a little different than what some may be familiar with. Um, where there's an elected school board, let's say, for, for uh, a town or city or part of a, of a couple of cities. Um, and so we're, we have an independent board that is self-perpetuating. It's a legal entity. Um, that board uh, sets a mission. In our case, that mission is inspiring students to become our creative, courageous, and compassionate future. We operate under that mission. We make all our decisions based on that mission. So rather than the mission of a public school system, for example, which might be to serve a certain area, our mission is to, in fact, do that, to inspire students to become our creative, courageous, and compassionate future. That means we're open to anybody um, who wants to go to a school that is governed by that mission. The board of trustees job is to make sure that that mission remains irrelevant, to make sure that it's prop adequately funded. All of our funding comes from tuition and donations. We do not get public funding. Um, and so that's a little bit of a, of a difference. In the long run, what you get with an independent school is something where you are in fact buying into a mission. Um, where people are choosing to go there because of that mission. So in a lot of ways, it, it's, it's very much like any other business in that it's a market activity, right? If people don't think that mission is relevant, if that mission isn't important, then um, people aren't going to come to the school. And so we have to make sure that we do what we say we do, that we deliver on that. We have to make sure that that mission is mm -hmm. relevant. And that's the job of the combination of the board of trustees and of the people who run the school. That's quite a responsibility, and it's quite a responsibility. Again, I'm chatting with the head of school, um, Seth Enverd uh, Seth uh, of the Elgin Academy, 183-year-old institutional 501c3, an independent school, and we're learning about each of those sort of categories um, as we've been talking. But 183 years, indeed, a lot has happened during that period of time. But notably, over the past two and a half years, we have had a pandemic. Uh, without going into too many of the details, what has that pandemic meant for you? And uh, as you've heard in previous conversations, let's talk about the silver lining. How has it changed the Elgin Academy for the better? Yeah, I think I think that it, it, it has been it has provided all of education with a real challenge. But I think for Elgin Academy, like other schools, what it what it's first of all, what it's really shown is the, is the strength of what our core mission is. It's shown the strength of those relationships between the faculty and the students and the faculty and the families and the administration, all of those partnerships that make it work. I think it's really demonstrated that that strength. For us, it was a it was a matter of integrating technology in a way that allowed us to do some things remotely. Um, we we have been able to be in person um, much more and much more consistently than a lot of schools have because we have so much space on our beautiful campus. And so I think for us, there's been a decided silver lining, and we we took the attitude right from the beginning of the pandemic that we were going to um, try to learn from that what really can change education positively. So there are some cases where um, we will continue to use remote platforms to do some things, to give access to people who might not have otherwise had it and things like that. So I think there is decidedly a silver lining. And for us, it is it has been a demonstration of what our strength has always been, mm -hmm. I think. 
And I want to talk about one of those big changes, one of the big things that's happening at the Elgin Academy because we are running out of time, and I want to save some time for this, is the peak on the Hilltop program. When I read about this, honestly, my mind was blown. The incredible work you're doing in, in helping uh, many uh, many individuals, many students um, that have uh, various uh, various special uh, special opportunities in their life, and that's where I want to uh, sort of start in that conversation. What is the peak on the Hilltop program, and who are you aiming to have uh, uh, lives changed with it? We're, we're really excited about this new opportunity that Peak is providing. We, we know that about 20% of the, of the kids in, in our country have a language-based learning difference. Those kids are often incredibly intelligent, incredibly creative, but school is a, is a difficulty for them because it's not geared towards what their skill sets are. We're creating a program that will help uh, remediate some of those differences so that when kids leave that program, they can go into a traditional program with only the accommodation needed of extended time. They will have learned how to, uh, through, a, through a very conscious multisensory approach, to uh, remediate some of those differences so that school is going to go from being something that is terrifying and frustrating and difficult to something that is accessible, where they can have an experience that really looks like what a lot of us have had in school. We're really excited to be able to serve a new population who needs very much to be served and deserves to be. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations on all that. I want to make sure our Thank listeners you. can get in touch with you so they can support this incredible work in your incredible program. How can we, uh, how can we contact you and support? Yep. So the, thank you so much. So the best the best way to get in touch with us is is to go to our website at elginacademy.org uh, and also, um, of course, to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Elgin Academy. And we look forward to connecting with anybody who shares our passion for that mission. It's a no-brainer that diversity makes for a stronger workforce. When companies embrace and value employees of different backgrounds into an inclusive workplace, they reap the rewards in creativity and innovation, strong company culture, improved employee performance, and so much more. We've been chatting a little bit about that so far on Get Down to Business. You're back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We're going to continue this conversation, but I wanted to take a moment and just share some of my own thoughts and my own tips. Diversity isn't the same as inclusivity. Think of inclusivity as the next step to successfully supporting a diverse workforce. It's all about creating an inclusive environment that welcomes and includes each employee. While inclusivity makes us feel good, inclusive workplace cultures offer far greater benefits than a warm and fuzzy feeling. So they're plain good business. It makes plain good business sense. Deloitte reports that inclusive workplaces are six times as likely to be innovative and have almost three times the cash flow per employee over non-inclusive workplace in a three-year period. So if you're ready to launch your inclusivity initiatives, I wanted to put together some 15 tips to help your employees flourish regardless of sex, race, gender, age, religious background, physical ability, sexual ordination, orientation. None of that matters. Get buy-in from the top. When it comes to creating and promoting an inclusive workplace, your biggest allies will be your leadership team. Prioritizing inclusivity as your, at your organization will be a challenge if the C-suite doesn't prioritize it as well. Educate your company's leaders about the importance of inclusivity. This includes offering diversity and inclusivity training um, for perhaps the boss. And I know many of our listeners are small businesses. That means you've got to invest in that time. It means uh, creating a safe space for your leaders to ask awkward or embarrassing questions behind the curtain before leading inclusivity initiatives company-wide. Once leadership is comfortable and on board, there'll be fantastic resources for setting an authentic, inclusive tone for all. And integrate inclusivity into your core values. You should already make it a habit to 
revisit your company's core values periodically, especially during moments of major change like we're in right now. If your core values don't already include a statement on inclusive culture, get the buy-in from leadership to draft and update and implement it. Get the most bang for your buck, ask for suggestions, feedback from employees company-wide, especially if your leadership and HR teams collectively aren't very diverse. The additional perspectives may help fill in a blank you've missed and help you earn crucial top-to-bottom buy-in. Model inclusive language. As an HR professional, you can be a professional agent of change. And I know that many of our listeners are wearing multiple hats. You should walk the walk and, frankly, talk the talk in all professional communications model uh, behavior that uh, that that. Is imbr- that is inclusive, and it, be careful that if you uh, if you uh, inadvertently uh, have some harmful language, make sure you apologize correctly and do the work to make sure that you won't repeat that mistake. Encourage a culture of frequent check-ins. Uh, one-on-ones aren't just for providing in-the-moment feedback. They're also opportunities to build trust, and trust is key for open dialogue that allows employees to honestly express their needs or discuss challenges that they may experience in their workplace particularly those of sensitive nature, create safe spaces. Many companies have already done a wonderful job promoting non-binary inclusion by providing gender-neutral restrooms. If your organization has already created a safe space, consider it. Think too about others' needs for privacy and safe space at work, such as lactation rooms for new mothers, prayer or meditation spaces, quiet workplace for workers who may be distracted and overstimulated by open floor plans. Fully remote, this extends the workspace as well. Create digital uh, safe spaces by encouraging employees to to update their signature block um, and make sure that employees have time for prayer and other personal needs by blocking it out on the calendar. Honor introverts by making digital culture events optional. Fully understand the needs of everyone at the company. Partner with managers to learn more about the teams. Employees may feel awkward advocating for themselves, and managers who have a closer eye on their report skills and needs can communicate those uh, as well. Create an inclusive workplace task force. And again, this ties into small companies too. If you create an environment where people can share, and by the way, the task force itself needs to be diverse, representing not only varying social demographics, but also the office location. Maybe if you've got people all over the world, uh, make sure it's, uh, it's representative of people wherever they might be working. And expand your company's holiday calendar. Little things mean a lot. And for minority groups, even small instances of representation can make a world of difference. That's why uh, it's important to look at uh, holidays like Hanukkah, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Those are great. Um, there's a lot of um, Islamic holidays and, and for Hindus and for Buddhists and so on. While it's not possible to make every holiday a company-wide holiday, at least acknowledge them on the calendar to raise awareness and increase the sense of recognition and, and belonging for practitioners and reward everyone's behavior. We've talked about that a lot on this program. Not only does recognition drive employee engagement and boost morale, but singling out and rewarding specific behavior also signals your company's values. For the start of the next quarter, thoughtfully review your employees' who have received public recognition in the past and for what. And if you do that repeatedly, everybody will get a message. There will be a signal that will be sent to your employees about the specific skills and talents that your company values. Create events and initiatives focused on inclusivity. When it comes to planning work events and initiatives that celebrating inclusion, the sky's the limit. So make sure you're recognizing uh, African-American Heritage Month. Make sure you're, you're acknowledging Pride Month and so on. This will help you to attract the best talent into your organization. Finally, finally, as we're coming to the conclusion of all of these great tips, hopefully you find this helpful. Get on my website, shalomkline.com and uh, share your feedback with me. Make sure your office is wheelchair accessible. To welcome all employees as well as visitors, make sure your office is wheelchair accessible. Make sure you're uh, creating all sorts of opportunities for conversation. And uh, make sure you're, again, providing a forum for introverts to shine. It's, uh, it's easy when, uh, when you're in 
a, uh, an office environment, everybody can come together. But on a Zoom environment, train managers create space in meetings to your employees who might be more inclined to hang back or might feel anxious. Again, I want to hear your feedback and on my website, shalomkline.com. And while you're on the web, be sure to check out our amazing sponsors, Tom Marabali from healthplanchicago.com, healthplanchicago.com for all of your Affordable Care Act and health insurance needs. He certainly can help you out as we uh, kick off a brand new year. Uh, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website. Uh, and after a quick break, we'll continue our conversation talking more about the job search. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. It seems like everybody these days is talking about the great resignation because that's uh, that's in this red hot job market, a record shattering number of U.S. workers are quitting their jobs and uh, perhaps starting a new job search. Here to join me in a conversation uh, is the co-author of a brand new book, The Empowered Job Search, Build a New Mindset and Get a Great Job in an Unpredictable World. And indeed, it is an unpredictable world. And that's why I'm joined by Lauren Weinstein, who uh, has written this fantastic read with some great research, and more importantly, some great advice. Lauren, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's uh, it's such an important topic, especially as we talk in uh, mid-January. So everybody's pressing that reset button and setting their New Year's resolutions professionally, as well as personally, too, perhaps. So what, uh, what brought you to write this book? And uh, then we'll get uh, into it, if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, well, my co-author and I just saw how many job seekers felt pain in the process and also felt lonely and isolated. And so we actually came together initially to design a career leadership program at a foundation where I was working at the time. And as we continue to talk about how important mindset is in the job search and how to make the job search easier, um, this book came to fruition. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And uh, I know that you know the job market was certainly uh, different even pre-COVID. But now, I guess my first question for you is, what are the unique opportunities and challenges that uh, this new environment can actually be of benefit to the folks in this job search? Yeah, well, in some ways, I feel like the job market is super hot in certain industries and marketplaces. And in other sectors, you know, it's a little cold. <laughs> and so I think the question is, you know, how do you figure out what your unique value is to bring that to this job search? And where is the opportunity? And so I think what I'm seeing is that some people are getting jobs so much faster than before, um, and they have multiple offers. And from a you know finding talent perspective, from you know small businesses or, or employers, it's um, you know there's a lot of people, a lot of applicants, and sorting through and getting clarity on who the right person is um, is both an opportunity and a challenge. Absolutely. I'm chatting with Lauren Weinstein, who has spent over a decade helping hundreds of people navigate their professional career paths and working with organizations to make them healthy and productive. It's a great read. It's called The Empowered Job Search. So, Lauren, you are an expert in this field. What's the most important thing that people get wrong about the job search? I think that people think that if they just press click and apply to jobs over and over again, that that is going to lead to an actual job. Um, I think so much of it is about doing the deeper work of knowing what your true value is and also managing your mindset. I think that's one of the biggest things that gets in the way of a successful job search is 
feeling depressed or sad, or I'm not good enough, or I can't believe this person got an interview over me, or I haven't heard back from anybody. Am I doing something wrong? So, so much of it is managing your own emotions around the job search. And the other part I would say is, is having that clarity of who you are and what you're uniquely bringing to the job. Absolutely. And um, as you said, mindset is so important uh, not to, uh, to, to get frustrated frustrated on, on what has been, but actually focus on your identity going forward. And I've shared this analogy many times on this program. Um, if I uh, blindfolded somebody and I handed them you know, a, a weapon and said, hit the target, there's basically no chance that they're going to hit the target. The same thing is true in the job search as well. You have to know exactly, exactly who you are. And perhaps more importantly, where you're going, what that, what that dream job is, perhaps is maybe more important than the resume itself. So why is your book different from other job search books? What, what's, what's inside the book? Give, give us a sneak peek. I don't want to share all the secrets because we'll, we'll link our listeners, obviously, to make sure they pick up a copy of this award-winning book, The Empowered Job Search. But why is your book better? I don't know if it would be better, but it's another perspective. I know there's a lot of great books out there. I think for us, mindset is a huge piece. We have a mindset for each chapter and we walk you through all the stages of the job search process. We're not just talking about you know, how you build that mindset, but giving you really practical tools as you do that. Um, and so we actually walk people through, you know, what's your optimal work rest cycle? Um, how does that fit with your ideal job? What's your unique value? And really defining the work that you want. And not just in terms of maybe the job function in the team, but also other nuance around your manager, you know, what's the blend of your coworkers and, and what's, what kind of learning and growth opportunities do you have? So all the hot topics that I think are on people's minds, but walking you through a deliberate process of how to, um, how to get that job. And I would add one more thing, which is, you know, we really talk about community building. Uh, I know you've done a lot of work around networking and building that community, uh, but I think reframing how you think about your relationships in the context of your job search is also really important and healthy for people is that you're not just selling yourself, you know, and trying to get people to buy, but you're really building with intention and connection around shared interests and ideas. And I think that that feeling can help you kick, help carry you through the job search. Absolutely. I'm chatting with the co-author of the Empowered Job Search, Build a New Mindset in a Great Job in an Unpredictable World that came out uh, just a couple of months ago and is so relevant right now as we step into a new year, a new environment, and so many people are going through this job search. So uh, before we go to break, Lauren, um, in 30 seconds or less, if you had one message for the employers out there, for the business community out there, for the organizations that I know you've worked with, what would that message be? Um, I would say take care. Take care of both your people who are currently working inside your organizations. And as you're thinking about, you know, your brand and how you're recruiting people, be kind in the process. It's, you know, there's there's a way to approach hiring in, in a way that candidates feel respected and valued and get some, you know, helpful feedback along the way. And so I think it's easy when you're in a hurry just to say, okay, we have to get these candidates. We're going to run this process. But then on the other side, just really making sure that you're um, knowing where, where each candidate is when possible, um, especially for those folks who've made it to, you know, some final rounds and, and helping them build their careers and succeed, um, regardless of whether they're getting the job. Awesome. Well, that's great advice. And after the break, we are going to continue our conversation with Lauren Weinstein, the author of a fantastic read, which I encourage all of our listeners to pick up. Go on Amazon, The Empowered Job Search, build a new mindset and get a great job in an unpredictable world. A quick break. More with Lauren Weinstein when we return after this quick break.
everybody these days is talking about the great resignation. And that's the uh, that's the reset button that so many job seekers, so many employees, I should say, are uh, pressing on their professional career. And that means that everybody wants the Empowered Job Search. And good thing, I am joined by the co-author of the book with that same title, The Empowered Job Search, Lauren Weinstein. We've been chatting about some of the advice regarding mindset, some of the advice regarding staying focused, and some of the advice to employers as well. So uh, again, Lauren Weinstein, welcome back. Um, And uh, taking a step back as uh, we have this conversation in early 2022, what are you seeing in terms of trends and hot industries that you want everybody tuning into this program to be looking at uh, over the next 12 months? Yeah, well, I might be a bit biased because I work in the tech space, but I think certainly tech is a hot industry. Um, but I think if you look across across a lot of the different sectors and industries, I mean, there's I think about it as a consumer and where is the demand and how is it shifting? Um, and so I think in you know there's actually opportunity across lots of different sectors. It's just a matter of how what skills you have and, and what skills you're developing and how you and the work you have to do to translate that between new opportunities that exist that we might not even know what they are yet. Absolutely. No, that's that's great. And it's okay to have a bias. That's okay. And, and frankly, I, I think that you're you're onto something over here in terms of a hot industry. So Lauren, as we come to the conclusion of our conversation, I want to make sure everybody tuning in has that homework assignment, that New Year's resolution, something that they could put in place either in their job search, in their week ahead. What would you like to see everybody considering a career change um do uh before we before they tune in to get to get down to business next Sunday? Yeah, well, I would say it's funny enough, it's not necessarily related to your job search. But one of the recommendations we have in the book is creating a a morning practice or an evening practice. And I think we also talk a lot about feelings and needs. And if you could just check in with yourself every day and say, what feelings do I have today? Am I happy? Am I sad? What what needs do I have? What met needs or unmet needs do I have? And what does that mean for me in terms of what I need to action on? Right? Do I need to get a walk and just have some time outside? Do I need to talk to my partner? What's going to make me feel whole? And that actually carries over so well into how you're engaging with other people as you're building relationships and connecting and talking about your ideal work. Um, and so I think starting with yourself and knowing what you feel, what you need can help you really action on your job search. That's awesome. And I've certainly learned a lot from our conversation. I can't encourage our listeners strongly enough to pick up a copy of the book, Empowered Job Search. But Lauren, um, you've got a great website. You've got a lot of tips I know that you're posting and sharing. And uh, this hopefully is just the beginning of some additional work that you and your co-author, Kathy, are uh, working on together. So I want to leave uh, the last minute to you. How can people learn more about the book and get in touch with you and your team? Yeah, sure. I mean, we have a website, theempoweredjobsearch.com, and the book's on Amazon, and also now through Ingram Spark, uh, local bookstores. I just went to my local bookstore and uh, got a copy, which was really fun. Um, So yeah, it's it's out there. And certainly, you could follow myself and Kathy on LinkedIn. We do like to post a lot, both about job search and also about um, work, right? And succeeding and thriving in this work crazy work world we have right now, Um, just trying to stay healthy and um, you know, maintain our well-being in these in these times right now. Absolutely. Well, I hope everybody is certainly doing that. And these are crazy times, but it's also a huge opportunity right now. And uh, if you take away one 
item from our conversation here. It's uh, definitely, again, stay focused um, with that mindset and uh, and have a plan, strategize, because it's not going to happen on its own. Um, but uh, one of the best things you can do is pick up a copy of the Empower Job Search. So thank you so much, Lauren Weinstein, for joining us on Get Down to Business. I look forward to having you back on real soon. And uh, that's a wrap for us here on the show, all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the past eight plus years of shows with amazing leaders, some great advice. And be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share. That's the easiest way to ensure that other people find out some of the great advice that we've been sharing on this episode. And of course, check out our sponsors, Tom Marabali from healthplanchicago.com, healthplanchicago.com for all of your Affordable Care Act and health insurance needs. And again, my website, shalomkline.com. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer, or wherever podcasts may be found. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com